Hi everyone. So today's conversation is on AI and its future in the next 10 years. So many believe that the rise of artificial intelligence will make most people better off, but many have concerns about how advances in AI will affect and what it means to be a human. So in today's conversation I have two AI entrepreneurs joining me. So let's start with a quick introduction. and uh, uh just tell us about what you're doing where you're joining from and what are you excited about ai in the next coming de- decade should i start maybe yeah yeah go for it oh so, yeah okay perfect my name is pascal dorsach i'm 30 years old and based in switzerland and i'm actually the ceo of an upcoming startup called data technologies which is actually the realm of machine learning um we're actually focusing on doing data structuring for uh, machine learning applications so it's in the realm of um, let's say data annotation uh, data augmentation data cleansing um we try to we try to address the common issues we see currently in the market regarding uh, data annotation at scale and also the, let's say the lack of quality uh, because at the end of the day that's that's what really matters and um yeah so maybe in terms of background i mean i have a I studied mathematical finance and I'm an alumnus of the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology in Zurich so I'm pretty let's say close to those guys there and I actually started programming my own artificial neural network I think 10 years ago but it was at uh, let's say <laughs> Okay thank you How about you Vincent Um yeah so I can quickly introduce myself um maybe uh first a little bit of background so once upon a time a long time ago i was a physicist then uh, i about probably 9 or 10 years ago i made the transition gradually into uh, data science and then machine learning and ai and um, the most recent regular job so to speak that i've had was at ibm research doing ai research and i left there about probably around 2 years ago now to start my own company and so i'm now the ceo of swig and we're building uh, essentially a new way to hire for companies and specifically we've invented a new way to do interviewing and we can talk more about that later but obviously ai is a big part of what we do it's not the only thing that we do but it is a very important component and uh, you're asking well, what's one of the things that i'm really excited about Uh, for the next 10 years it's about finding uh, ways that ai can solve really human problems and work with humans as opposed to just being a way to automate a standalone task now that that task becomes fully automated looking at okay how do we get uh, ai's and humans essentially work side by side right i think that's a that's a really exciting area to think about awesome yes sir I missed that point what I'm excited about sorry for that. Oh yeah, we want to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I mean um yeah, actually I agree with you. I think what I'm really excited about is that I am putting AI into production into real world because uh, until now we have seen a lot of the research going on and uh, I think this is really crucial because I think um we we have been talking a lot about ai etc but we have to deliver use cases where uh, we we truly solve real world problems and that's what i'm excited about there are a lot of things i'm li- li- uh, concerned but we can talk about, about that later yeah. okay so I let's that's actually a great point uh, i mean i, I don't know fortika you're in charge but since uh, pascal no, just no, no, go ahead no, please, 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 um, jump in. please please make your point 
Uh, so what Pascal is saying is, well, look, there are risks too, right? And I think that this is, uh, well, I'm assuming we're going to spend a little bit of time on that in this discussion, that uh, it's not just about being laser focused on solving a problem, but also always bearing in mind, like, what's the price that you pay for, um, like, giving up, like, whatever you're giving up. And I think that's an interesting question. Like, what are we giving up by being so focused on all the things we can solve with AI? Yeah, so I I think that brings us to the point of privacy and data security, right? And it's a very uh, tropical topic as well with what happened with Twitter yesterday mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, the hacks going on. So, sh- so should we trust algorithms? What do you think? Should humans trust algorithms? So I think that algorithms always do exactly what you tell them to do not exactly what you want them to do. And it often takes a lot of time to figure out what the difference is. So what I would say is, sure, a sufficiently validated algorithm, if we understand well enough what it actually does, we can begin to trust. Um, But just because we want it to do something doesn't mean that it actually does that, right? So the continuous validation to make sure that these algorithms actually conform to the behavior that we want them to have is necessary to build trust in AI. So uh, just to take this like in a slightly more technical direction, uh, like when you develop regular software, you would have software testers, right? So you would test that the software does what it's supposed to do before you deploy it so that users don't end up with a surprise where there's a button that says quit program and all of a sudden your computer crashes. but similar strategies are necessary for AI as well, but they don't quite look the same way because um, AI isn't of the sort where if you push the button, it always does the same thing. It depends on a number of different data inputs. Um, It depends on the data that you trained your model on. It depends on the assumptions that the model makes. And so you have to think a little bit more carefully about what's a good testing strategy for an AI algorithm as opposed to a testing strategy for traditional software. But if we get that right, then yes, absolutely. I think we can trust algorithms. Interesting. Yeah, so yeah. That's a really long answer, but yeah. Mm-hmm. I think taking that, maybe that point up a little bit from, from Vincent, I think we need to really work towards explainable AI. I think this is something which is really crucial that people understand what's going on. I mean, in software engineering, we have um, maybe in technical terms, you have unit tests, you have functional tests, et cetera. Mm-hmm. This is exactly what you need to do currently. Um, there's, I mean, stochastic gradient descent is just better programmer than any any human, right? So you don't understand everything that's going on. That this is a, um, also a critical part why a lot of people don't trust the AI system currently because they don't understand it's a black box, right? Mm-hmm. And there we need to do a lot over the upcoming 10 years. Uh, another thing is also in, currently we are really doing narrow AI. So something can work in a certain context and we trust them, right? But if you transfer it to other uh, contexts, it, it can happen that you should you should probably not trust the algorithm because it do, does completely something, something different. There is this area of um, actually transfer learning, which is uh, pretty exciting to me, but still, um, it's, it's, it's not yet there. And uh, I think I'm pretty actually excited about this kind of developments over the upcoming 10 years. But I just want to make sure that the point is clear. Even if you if you can assure that a certain algorithm works properly uh, in a certain context, it doesn't mean that you can actually transfer it into another context and you can trust it there. 
I think this is a pretty, really uh, uh, important point. Um, and yeah. I think that the last thing I just want to make sure that um, somehow emphasize that even if you have an unbiased AI technology, but you have an unfair social system, this can generate biased outcomes, right? Mm -hmm. This is also something really, really critical, right? So, and um, there we need to figure out, and that's one of the biggest challenges I see, how we're going to resolve that. So, yeah, very interesting. I'm glad you brought up some of those points. So, I'm curious to know, now today, most of these AI tools and computing power is in the hands of big corporates uh, working towards, say, profit max maximization or governments uh, working to towards getting power. So how do you see the role of data usage, surveillance and regulatory? Do you think is, is that a way how humans can trust algorithms? I mean, there's um, a certain area it's called confidential computing, um, where you actually can actually have certain trust. I mean, Google just announced it for the, their GCP, I think one day ago don't trust verify right it's just i think that's that's the, the model i think i mean at least for me i think overall um one concern i have is that currently ai is really um capital intensive um if you're now coming a little bit to my use case about the data annotation etc for a, a simple semantic segmentation of a picture you pay six seven dollars and um, of course, if you have 50,000 or 100,000 even warmer images, a small or middle enterprise cannot afford that, right? So I think in the, over the next 10 years, and that's also part of my vision, is somehow to make uh, machine learning or democratize machine learning. And this means that you provide high quality services at, um, at scale that actually decreases the um, actually the amount of capital you need to deploy right otherwise you will end up uh, having all the big companies just doing ai and the small ones and middle ones they just don't have access to it um, so do you think the regulation would be required here well i think it's um the regulation it, it's it's a challenging question i think regulation in terms of um anonymization of um, maybe faces or um, having certain quality standards for training sets, of course. But I think it's the industry needs to drive that also. It's not the regulation can actually handle that. The regulation just makes sure that the data that we use and the, that the AI actually put into production works in a, in a way that it's, um, it should work, right? It's not. I think it's not that um, regula reg regulatory bodies should actually do the pricing at the end of the day. That's my personal opinion. Got it. How do you think about it, Vincent? Yeah, I think Pascal is bringing up a bunch of interesting points there. Um, but maybe, like, I'll try to look at it from a slightly different perspective. So you asked this question, can people trust algorithms in the context of privacy? And... I think there's two questions there. It's like, first of all, can we trust the algorithms? But the other is, can we trust the companies that use those algorithms? And I think the use case that you have in mind makes a big difference, right? So for example, if we are talking about an algorithm that, that uses the camera on your phone to unlock your phone, then 
the kind of trust we need in an algorithm like that is to say, well, it should recognize you as being different from everyone else in the world. So that you're the only one that can access your phone. And then I would say, yeah, we can probably build an algorithm that does that, right? Um, but if we're talking about an algorithm that's going to decide if you should be hired for a job, or if you should get a loan from a bank, or if you should get accepted to a particular school, or if you're allowed to live in the neighborhood, I would say, well, sure. So these are things where I would say, well, first of all, I don't know if we can build algorithms that do that at all, right? Whether or not the technology exists today to do that. And even if someone were to come up and claim we've built something that can do that, I would say, well, gosh, um, you know, don't trust, but verify as Pascal says, right? So there should be a human there to make sure that every time that AI makes a decision, there's a little bit of double checking getting done to make sure that no mistakes are being made. And there's like room for review and room for appeal and like making sure that um, we recognize the algorithm as being a tool we use to achieve goal and not something that we can just let loose independently to go and make hiring decisions or financial decisions or what have you. What actually is, is pretty interesting is that AI actually is not intelligence in a biological sense, at least not mm -hmm. yet, right? So it can always stress test. Mm -hmm. You can always test. If you have a brain like that, you have always limitations, right? Because mm -hmm. you have biological limitations and here it's just correlational so now yeah. right that is now so but i uh, do you foresee that in the next 10 years uh, can is it okay to say that ai will have feelings and emotions to uh, make decisions is it okay wow. <laughs> <laughs> well that's a, that's a very deep question right because you got to define what you mean by feelings and emotions and i think we have a bit of a hard time defining that even for people exactly what we mean by that at least for me, but because I'm not a, I'm not a psychologist. But um, so, what what do you mean? Like, what what kind of feelings and emotions do you think are necessary? Well, um, well, to give you an example, like, uh, do you think? Uh, I feel if AI can say that, hey, I do not know the answer of this question, mm -hmm. uh, uh, with enough data, if AI can tell you that uh, I cannot take decisions on your behalf and I do not know the answer of this question then that brings in some degree of uh, emotion in the technology in algorithm right mm -hmm. uh, like sometimes alexa do says i don't understand what you're up to <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> so, so so but in the next 10 years i i i, I don't know this is i'm speculating and i'm mm -hmm. just curious to know if cognitive science neuroscience has done enough advancements to bring mm -hmm. in emotional intelligence in algorithmic decision making well i think the the main assumption is here or the question we should ask should we aim for that i think <laughs> should we work on that i think this is a, a critical part the other assumption is that we are still around in 10 years so let's be optimistic <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think what you are what you are talking about is the AGI, artificial general intelligence, uh, and there is all. I mean, the question is really how do we define intelligence? So we have a certain perception on what we think is intelligence, but it can be even much much broader. And for me, I mean, just that's my gut feeling. This kind of um, having empathy, for instance, as a feeling, I think um, we can um, to some extent have. I think. 
not everything can be data driven. That's why I um, currently everything it's, it's really deep learning focused. But I think a combination of deep learning and uh, symbolic AI um, will, will lead the way because um, we have um, certain aspects of symbolic AI that could be leveraged for exactly this kind of, of um, say, uh, topics. I'm just not personally sure whether this is really the way we should go regarding right. the. I mean, that's I, I'm pretty scary some i mean I think, I think it can be really scary so but vincent you work with a lot of rich media data set like video voice do you see this coming and uh to frame it like how pascal said do, do you aim for uh, should we aim for that to have that kind of intelligence so um, part of the reason of so i can tell you a little bit about what we're actually working on like in a nutshell um, we're trying to um, make face-to-face -face interviewing more accessible to um, a larger number of applicants. And the structure that we have is we have applicants, uh, we have candidates interview other candidates. And part of the reason that we think that that's actually a really good approach is because we think that uh, pure AI, like fully automated approaches, cannot solve the problem of trying to decide who is qualified for a job. Um, in part because like you want to, the reason we want to hire people for a job is because there's some aspect of that job that can't be done by a computer because otherwise you'd get a computer to do it, right? Uh, so I think there will always be that frontier of like, we need to make decisions about things that computers can't make decisions about. Like that frontier is going to shift, but that frontier will always exist at least in the next 10 years, right? So sure, in 50 or 100 years, who knows? But I don't see that going away for sure in the next 10 years. And uh, But that also means that if we want to think about um, where AI fits in, I don't think the, the deepest question for the next 10 years anyway is about um, how do we make AI capable of making more autonomous decisions? but how do we like make the collaboration between humans and AI work better? How do we make humans, how do we augment human decision-making with AI tools um, in all those places where we're just not capable of taking the human out of the equation? And even if we were capable, we might not want to anyway. Right. So on that point, uh, I just want to uh, uh, you know cover up the last segment. And uh, on Vincent, on your point, specifically you're talking about augmenting human lives how, how do you think about automation and job losses that's coming of course partially because of covid and also because of automation that's coming in and how do you foresee mm -hmm. the next 10 years from an automation point of view yeah that's a great question and um so honestly i think it's a problem so I think that uh, so from a macroeconomic perspective, people always say, ah, well, you know, if you look at history, every time that some automation or some technology made a job obsolete, um, like sure enough in that industry, more jobs were created and eventually it was okay. But the key operative word there is eventually, right? Where there might in fact be a dip for a while and then uh, growth again and also, uh, the new jobs that are created are not necessarily occupied by the same individuals that lost their jobs when the previous jobs got automated away. And I, I think, so I, I, this is actually a 
uh, something that I feel is often missing in the conversation. People look at the big picture and say, from a macroeconomic perspective, things like technology and automation are a good thing. Um, but the individual human stories um, don't always look that good. And I think that if as a, like a, a global society, right, not pointing at any particular government, but just saying collectively as mankind, we have to be conscious that as we develop new technology, they're going to be winners and they're going to be losers um, in terms of uh, who will be impacted if we don't act thoughtfully. And so I think we need to be do a better job thinking more thoughtfully about who will be negatively impacted by these changes and help support those people because ultimately things like automation are for for the better globally, but we have to do an active job in supporting the people that are otherwise going to get hurt in the short term. Very true, very true. What are your thoughts on this, Pascal? Yeah, it's a really, really interesting topic. I think there's a major difference between the fourth industrial revolution and the, the third, the second, the first one. And I think before, in the previous uh, industrial revolutions, you had a one-for-one -one substitution. You had one worker actually substituting another, and it was pretty easy to, to switch. Right now, it's you have... Um, one guy maybe let's say substituting three or four guys and he has another uh, actually um background and um so i think um people should more talk about this because there's a switching cost right for people getting substitute from one job into another and requires certain um expertise and, and also intrinsic motivation i mean if you have worked for 20 years in as a in a supermarket and then you get actually you cannot go to another supermarket because it's already automated so they need to actually have a uh, they, they need to educate themselves again right and maybe there is an, not an intrinsic motivation there and it takes maybe years that they really get the motivation i think this is important i think ai and also the COVID crisis they will actually drive um the, the, the notion of uh, universal basic income also as well. This, um, I think this will be somehow, I mean, it, at least in Switzerland, um, we had this topic already a couple of years ago, but I think this will be, uh, will be uh, um, getting on the agendas of, uh, of major governments around the world. However, this means just that, okay, they can live in a certain way, but it doesn't mean they can find their purpose, right? So I think Finding the the purpose for the um, for you for for you or someone who has lost his job in the supermarket and can't search for another job in another supermarket finding purpose takes years, and we need to really potentially think about how we can solve that. Um, because I think AI um, can help a lot in terms of automation, economics of scale, etc. But a lot of the big leaders in the world uh, from big corporates, they just neglect what, uh, who are the losers and how many losers are there. That's my personal opinion on that. Very interesting point. Very interesting point. So now uh, coming to the last uh, four minutes that we've got, uh, would you like to make some last comments uh, on any major predictions or uh, share a bit of optimism about the next 10 years? And if you have any specific ask about your own company, uh, uh, I am hoping a lot of engineers will be listening to this podcast. So if you have any specific <laughs> ask, uh, do make it out loud. Yeah. Um, I mean, I can start probably. I think um, 
But um, a major part we haven't talked or we haven't touched right now is the hardware part. Machine learning is not only software, but also hardware. And I think I'm pretty excited uh, about uh, what I have seen at least here in Switzerland at ETH of Zurich and DPFL, that um, hardware um, developing um, a development is, is progressing well. Um, because I think this is the ultimate, we actually need top-notch hardware to put machine learning into production for self-driving cars. That's for instance why Tesla is building their own chips, right? And um, so it cannot only be that people work on the software part, but also, but also on the hardware part. So I think there is, I'm pretty excited that we find really good hardware to put uh, so really even more complex deep learning algorithms into, into, into production at the end of the day. And I'm pretty excited about this um, development. So um, regarding, I mean, my company, I think um, if, if, so, if you guys or someone of you engineers are interested in working with me, I mean, I'm pretty keen to hear your opinions about um, having active learning and self-supervised learning for uh, scaling up um, labeling services. So this is an important part. Um, and if someone of you guys have a good understanding of uh, microservice or in terms of full stack development, uh, please reach out to me. Awesome. Okay, how about you, Vincent? Yeah, great question. If I have any optimistic predictions about the future. Um, so I think predicting the future is always very hard. Um, so maybe I should make a prediction, what I, well, not really a prediction, but a, um, what I think people oh. should work on, what they should yeah. think about. And um, like, I think it's that uh, collaboration between AI and humans, right? So in um, like uh, the simple model of looking at automation is saying, okay, I'm gonna have a task, I'm gonna automate that task. Okay, great. Now you wanna do something a little bit more difficult. Now you're gonna say, okay, I want a human to interact with the device, right? And the device is gonna like sensibly react to the human. So now the AI is interacting with the human. Um, but where I think it gets really interesting is if you have um, human to human interaction, with AI facilitating that and augmenting that. And to be honest, I don't know what that's gonna look like, right? That's a prediction about the future that I can make, but I think it's a really interesting area. Um, then uh, you were asking about uh, my company and what might be interesting for your audience. I know your audience is full of engineers. Um, and so first of all, yes, if you wanna come work at SWIG and reinvent the way hiring is done, do get in touch with me. Um, but also, I can already tease a little bit that we're working on something that's actually for uh, candidates and for people that might be looking for work. So normally we work with companies to reinvent their hiring process, but we're, there's currently something really exciting in the works also for candidates. And I can't say too much yet about what it is, but stay tuned. So we'll be announcing that on our website and I will be sure to let Pratika know. So I'm sure that she will pass it along as well once it's ready. 100%. And I love your point on collaboration. I believe a lot in AI collaborative thinking. And I feel that we as humans will be able to trust machines if there is collaboration. If mm -hmm. a lot of people work on the same thing, people trust each other. Mm -hmm. So on that note, thank you very much for taking the time and uh, giving 30 minutes of your time to chat today. Uh, 
uh, I, I am calling these conversations as curious chats. Uh, and <laughs> because I, I am just curious about many things going on in the world. 